Hello, podcast listener, Phil here. I need your help. I've been producing Stageworthy for the last seven years, and in that time, I haven't run ads or sponsorships, and while I've frequently made it possible to donate to help keep Stageworthy going, I've so far been content to swallow the cost of keeping the podcast going. Stageworthy is one of the few podcasts that interviews Canadian theatre makers, and I have managed to keep it going for seven years, including throughout the pandemic, when a lot of Canadian theatre-related podcasts stopped producing episodes. But I've reached a breaking point, and I can't keep the podcast going by myself. I need your help to keep going. If you've enjoyed Stageworthy, benefited from it, discovered a new favourite theatre artist, this is what you can do please consider making a donation, either one time or on a recurring monthly basis. You'll find a link to do that in the show notes or on the website. I'm also interested in bringing in a, a sponsor or finding other methods of funding, so if you know of anything, let me know. It costs $135 a month just to cover the cost of the tools I use for podcast hosting, remote recording, editing, and the creation of episode images. That doesn't include the time spent booking guests, preparing for interviews, actually doing the interviews, the time spent editing, creating promo images, and keeping up with correspondence, which takes about 10 hours a week at a minimum. So if you can help, please go to the donate link in the show notes or on the website at stageworthy.ca. Thank you, and thanks for listening. I'm Phil Rickaby, and I've been a writer and performer for almost 30 years. But I've realized that I don't really know as much as I should about the theater scene outside of my particular Toronto bubble. Now, I'm on a quest to learn as much as I can about the theater scene across Canada. So join me as I talk with mainstream theater creators you may have heard of, and indie artists you really should know, as we find out just what it takes to be... Stageworthy. Sam Chalk is a theatre artist and comedian from Toronto. She's currently rehearsing her new show, Influence, which will have its world premiere at the One Night Only Festival on June 9th before hitting the Montreal and Winnipeg Fringe Festivals. In this conversation, we talk about how her show, Influence, grew into Buffon from something initially more traditional, how a fascination with the way algorithms drive questionable content to viewers led to the creation of her show, her theater origin story, and more. Here's our conversation. We should probably talk about uh, Influenced. Yes. Tell me, tell me about this show of yours. Yeah, so Influenced is uh, my first full-length Buffal show. Uh, I've been working on it since 2019, if you can believe it. Been through a lot of different uh, iterations. <laughs> and uh, right now, it is a, a rabbit hole cabaret of theatrical interactive content that is targeted at you. Um, so I'm making fun of influencers, experts, conspiracy theorists, algorithms, uh, you name it, everything from the internet, uh, I'm taken down as well as, uh, my audience members and their internet behaviors and beliefs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so nothing internet-y is safe in influence. It's going to be very fun. So, I mean... Was was this was the show inspired by like experiences on TikTok on things like that, or was it you started working it in 2019? I feel like, at least for old people like me, uh, TikTok exploded in 2020. But yeah, um, you know, so it's more TikToky now. Uh-huh. Um, just because like I was like when TikTok exploded in 2020, is that when it was? I feel like it. It's sort of like it's sort. Of, I mean, if, um, among. Millennials started so, getting on TikTok in 2020. <laughs> like, uh, millennials and Gen X and everybody else, we started getting on. The Gen Z was on before that. Um, right, yeah. They may say that we all ruined TikTok for them. But yes. um, for it, it exploded in popularity like in the mainstream in 2020, I think, with the pandemic. 
So I started working on the show actually at York University. Okay. So I was doing my master's in performance creation for theater at the time. And uh, just before I started that program, I had had an experience on YouTube that was the major inspiration for this. Um, basically, like I was on YouTube all the time. I was watching um, creators like like ContraPoint, for example, if you're if you're a fan of or know ContraPoints. Uh, she's this amazing woman who does uh, who at the time was doing a lot of kind of like de-radicalizing of the alt-right kind mm-hmm. of content and kind of getting into all these like guys on Reddit and like the incel movement and talking about all that stuff. Um, but as it happens, when you're, you know, going down the YouTube rabbit holes, uh, I got recommended some really scary stuff that was also like, like unexplicably intriguing to me. Like it was like, like alt-right content was getting recommended to me. But it was like kind of the um, the entryway stuff. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like the full-blown, you know, um, the great replacement theory, which is like, you know, that white people are being replaced um, thing. Uh, it was like the light stuff where it's like, it, it, it's this guy, Dave Rubin. This is how they started mm-hmm. getting to me was like the, um, this guy, Dave Rubin, who sort of first thing he does is show you his, his uh, wedding ring and says like, I'm married to a man, you know, I'm a liberal, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a card carrying liberal or I should be, but I believe that everybody should be able to speak freely about their ideas, et cetera, et cetera. So basically he says this, but then every guest that he has on his show is like alt-right or right. like right. very close to that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I remember kind of unironically and like uncritically starting to watch some of this stuff and like hearing the things that people were saying and kind of like, like I wasn't being radicalized by any means, but I kind I was just like, you know, some of this stuff is okay. You know, like I, I remember having this experience and this was a time when I was a bit low, like personally in life. Um, so I was just watching a lot of YouTube. Um, and like, I, I quickly realized what was happening and kind of got out of it, but it gave me this feeling of like, oh man, this is not hard to do, you know, like it's not hard to get onto these, like get into these rabbit holes and, and, and like people really make a big effort to try to convert anyone of any political leaning you know what i mean and i i, I started yeah. to kind of have um i guess a little bit more empathy for the people who were going that way and there were a lot of people going that way at the time and now we're in a mm. different place for sure um but this was like pre-covid obviously and i think that a lot of people who are sort of like getting into this stuff like you remember i don't like i don't know if you had like family members who would kind of start to spout this stuff and and like light versions of this stuff and um like you would just see it all around you and I could kind of see it all around me yeah um but that's like the that's like my sort of orange origin Mm. story for how I started work on this so when I first started working on it it was all sort of like I was just doing so much research into all of these different people doing this stuff and then I it started to become clear that like a lot of the common sort of like the the structure of the rhetoric was really similar to like ads that I would get for like shapewear or like, Mm -hmm. um, or even arguments from like the left. Like it was like Mm -hmm. this, I saw this kind of common structural thing emerging from sort of everything that that has just kind of been uh, marinating in in this area of the internet, and I was like, this string is the one I want to expose or look mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. really directly. Um, so I started doing like performance experiments because we were doing them almost like twice a week uh, mm-hmm. in this program, which is awesome. If anybody wants to make a solo show, look into that program. Like it was. Mm-hmm really incredible honestly um even though most of it happened during the pandemic for me right um but 
yeah, I was doing all these performance experiments, like using that verbatim material, um, some really bad stuff, some less bad stuff. <laughs> uh, and, and, then, and then the people, my cohort and my teachers were like, were like, you know, Buffon, Sam. <laughs> Buffon. Like, a lot of what you're doing here is, is really confronting and uncomfortable. Mm. But you are also this really accomplished improviser and comedian. Buffon, you know? Think Had about it. Have you been it. exposed to Buffon before that? Um, no. Mm. I was not at all. Mm. No, that was my first... Like I, that's how I heard about it. And people were pointing me to like Adam Lazarus's daughter. Like people were just saying daughter, 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 like everything right, right. I would do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, which I have never seen, but I actually got to see his work in progress versus recently, which is super, super exciting. Stuff. Um, but yeah, so, so they pointed me in that direction and then I, you know, I wrote some essays on it. I was looking at red bastard and poxy um and sash baron cohen also mm -hmm. um learning about it uh but i never really got the chance to actually study it while i was doing my thesis um so afterwards i did um but like the show that i ended up creating for my thesis ended up because it was happening during the pandemic it ended up being this wildly weird conceptual like very complex thing that i that i uh got on um that i got my friend to to film like we went right. to the theater at york and it, it's so complicated like it has boxes and ribbons and blood and like it it's crazy how how complicated it is but this version now is like so so pulled back um, right and my hope is that it kind of contains all of that work that I did, but it's just very, very simple. Um, was it at the time, was it so complicated because you were trying to fill video time and you didn't have like audience connection? Do you think? Yes. Yeah. It was I, because I had to build things into the show that like I had this little box friend, basically, like I had all these Amazon boxes and one of them was just like my my buddy that I fell right. in love with that was called Amy and he was like an Amazon box. <laughs> um, and all the things that I really wanted to be doing to the audience, mm. I kind of started doing to him. So I had this like stand in uh, object to kind of, um, because it was always meant to be interactive. Like when I started making it and then it was just not possible to do that even over zoom. When I tried to make it interactive over zoom, it was always just like total flop fail, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's like I had to build these things in because it was lacking that audience interactive piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Zoom is not great for performance. And there hasn't been a, a, a good live streaming thing that's good for performance. And Zoom just isn't it. Well, it's like, like, especially, like, especially with clown, right? Because it's about exchanging energy between people. Yeah. It's about like, like, there's a look that you can give someone in real life that will not translate, even if no. you're looking directly into a camera. Yeah. Because you're seeing them, you're seeing where they're at, and you're responding in real time to like exactly that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the vibe work like just yeah. cannot be there, <laughs> you know? I mean, that's why, like, you know, in a lot of ways, like, you know, the Zoom theater and things like that that we had during the pandemic is a diff completely different animal from like live totally. theater because we just don't have a way to connect with the audience. Yeah. And, no. and, and, and what is theater if not having a connection with your audience? 100%. And I, I like, I was, I remember during that time, like I was so, I was so mad, you know, <laughs> and I would just constantly be saying like, this isn't theater. Like we all need to accept that this isn't theater. Mm -hmm. Let's stop trying to pretend that it is because it's not. Yeah. You know, and every, you know, but then there's like, you know, everybody trying to be optimistic. And like, I get that too. Sure. Um, of course. But Absolutely. I was I just very like, no, <laughs> if you know what I mean? Just also being like an interactor myself. Like that's like not, that's not possible for me, you know? Yeah. 
did you did you start were you when you started at york was it already pandemic times was it like automatically like video on or did you have some in-person time before before that happened so i had the fall term hmm. and the fall term was what i referenced there where everybody was like fall and daughter like look into that um right. and uh yeah i had the fall term and then it was i had like a month of classes basically before everything right. shut down and then the rest of it was completely online. So it was a bit, it was a bit, it was like a blessing and a curse in a way. Cause I also got to spend so much time inside the world of my show and I, right. and it became my coping mechanism. Like mm -hmm. all I thought about was this, like all day, every day I would wake up in the morning and I would, I would go to bed with it in my head at night and I would walk around high park and come up with things. And you know what I mean? Which I think is also why it was so, <laughs> like, it was it was so complicated and all over right. the place. Is because I just had come up with so much stuff, you know. And you were throwing everything at it. I mean, if you're thinking about all that, and 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 you know, what else do you have to do during the pandemic but to think about this one thing? Exactly. And of course, you're going to be throwing everything in it. Yeah, and then I thought, and like at the time, I thought that all of that would be what made it good like all of that attention and all of that like <laughs> constant time to it would would be what make it made it good right but but it was not true <laughs> like taking away like i really now have the tip of an iceberg of process right with this show um and the rest of it is underwater and that is like perfectly fine right. um like we were thinking about incorporating some like I had some stuff with like ribbons flying out of my mouth and like gradually like pulling them out and eating marshmallows and blah, 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 like all this stuff. We recently were just like, we were going to work it in, but we said, let's cut it. Let's just, I'm going to focus, especially considering this is my first full length clown show. I'm just going to focus on being with the people in the bases. And then mm -hmm. I'm going to build a playground. I'm going to build a structure. It definitely has quite a bit of text like it's definitely kind of hybrid because yeah. it's not totally um you know uh just me kind of playing games like with a bit of structure it's like there's text there's yeah. quite a bit um so it's kind of hybrid a play and uh, a clown show um but yeah so i'm going to build this structure and i'm going to play on it and i'm going to focus on my sensitivity with the audience and responding to them honestly in the space and get really good at that. That's like so you, important though. That's like, like what is clown if not like just you and the audience, right? Like, exactly. And like, I've been studying know. clown for years and years and years and years. Yeah. Like I started when in my BFA, actually I did Jinko clowning with, um, Louise Cotier, my original clown mama, um, there. And then I was doing courses here and there, um, and that was in 2009. Mm. Two, yeah, 2009. Oh boy, that was a long time ago. <laughs> um, and I, I've been doing it in different with different teachers and stuff since then. Right. Um, but I never really performed uh, very much in clown, and so now uh, that for the past two years or so i guess that's what i'm focusing on is like taking all of that studying um <laughs> that i did and actually putting the you know rubber to the road on it yeah i mean clown is I, a lot of people do like they do clown in school or they take clown and it's another thing entirely to be like I, I could create a show around this because clown is frankly terrifying oh boy is it ever yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is terrifying but you know what i actually find improv I've done a lot of improv and I find it more terrifying somehow. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I think because I feel like I have to be smart. <laughs> you know, I have this like pressure to be like a witty, but like all the best right. improv work that I ever did was all like character based emotional stuff. But then I would be in groups and that wouldn't quite fit with what people were doing. And like it, it, it kind of became clear to me as I was doing improv that I was like a bit of a different bird there. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so it was 
like I think I've always kind of been pointed towards the clown work um, in all of my explorations of different ways of of being a performer. But it's kind of like, you know, if you look at uh, old Second City stuff, you look at, say, SCTV, for example, and you had two kinds of two kinds of, 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 of performers there. You had a lot of people who were very, you know, funny with their mouths. Like they said funny things or they, you know, the character was was funny. And then you had other people who were so physically funny. If you compare like mm-hmm. uh, Eugene Levy to a Martin Short, mm-hmm. both very hilarious people. But one is you know yes he's he's funny with speaking but he's also like incredibly physically hilarious whereas eugene levy for example tends to be more speaky funny yeah yeah totally there's there's different ways of being it and i think i'm like i definitely think i'm like i said like a a hybrid because i'm definitely you know the 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 text in this show is definitely like turns of phrase and um clever little things and you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like yeah. And actually my director, um, Suzanne Robert Smith, excellent, excellent clown performer, teacher who's um Francine Cote is her big uh teacher and inspiration. Um she like when she's when I we did the mock up probably two weeks ago, mm-hmm. just kind of throwing everything down at once to just see what the beast was looking like even though it's like very it was very not super finished right um and she was like wow you know you're 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 so smart you know <laughs> like <laughs> there's all this there's all this text it's like how can we how can we essentialize all this stuff so that you can play actually mm. like so she's really um getting me She's really uh, training me in that direction, I suppose, um, to make sure that I'm not I'm not like, oh no, this thing doesn't come after this thing, and blah 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 blah. Like she she's really focused on making sure that I have the tools to have the freedom that I need yeah. to just kind of like toss stuff if I need to toss stuff and um, dig into things that I need to dig into, depending on who the audience is, right? Mm, yeah. I mean, you, this has been quite a journey with this with this show. Influenced, um, is there something that you could pick out that's like this is the number one thing that I've learned in working on this show? Oh boy, hmm. I have to think about that for a second. Oh, keep it simple, stupid. Hmm. Honestly, because it's like all the time and all the energy that I put, like I like. I really learned how to do a, a process for myself. Like I experimented with all the different ways of giving what I was creating all of that richness. Mm-hmm. But when I was doing that, it's like I thought that that was going to be the show. And it, it, it just so isn't, you know, mm-hmm. like, cause I'm like, you know, going in and moving and then you know um getting all like worked up or whatever and then sitting down with my notebook and like drawing pictures and you know having little visions or whatever and like you know what I, like doing all of that process stuff which is important and so good yeah um but i think it's like i expected that the things that came from that part of the process would be what the show was mm-hmm. um but really it was just like building blocks or or it's like how do you unearth this thing that's inside you mm. and like how do you grow like how do you grow the roots of this plant and maybe y- your plant is just like one little stalk or whatever you know what i mean like yeah and and letting what shows be really simple um w- was there a moment in your process where you realized that the show was not all of these things that you did in the in the video version. Um, yes. Well, I mean, I think when I went back to restructure it and like to pull pieces, because I had because even in the video version there was all these pieces that I had tossed from um, when I was originally working on it in 2019, and interestingly, a lot of those have come back. So, um. I think when I was restructuring it, I was like, no, this doesn't make sense. This, 
this is too much. Especially considering I really have my premise straight, which is like it's a it's a cabaret hosted by an AI MC with one bouffant performer who does bastards or characters, right? Mm. Um, mm. And songs and comedy bits and games and whatnot. Um, so it's like in that structure, that premise that I've given myself, like how am I going to do, like, like at first I was trying to squeeze all that stuff in, being like how could that be like a cabaret act or whatever? And I was like, no, it just needs to be that they're cabaret acts, you know? <laughs> I'm like, that's it. And they need to have one simple thing that I'm doing. And then that, that, that's it. Mm. And I'm excited to do it now. Like before, like I remember the feeling of rehearsing for that video version was like, was like absolute. And it's probably also because I just had nobody around me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we had like three people. No, four. Because it was me, Kate MacArthur, um, who is my partner in crime in theater enthused in my company. Um, and we work together a lot and she worked together with me on the video version. And also now on this, she's the voice of, um, Algo, the, the AI MC. Um, oh, like block my train sock. That's all right. That's all right. What was I saying? You were talking about, uh, about Kate MacArthur and, uh, yep. and, and people who are working with you. Oh, it. because we only have so many people in the space. That's right. Yes. Right. Um, it felt terrifying, yes, and it and it felt like absolute looming pain, you know, because it was like so much to do, and there was just no pleasure in it whatsoever, right? Like it was just okay. I have to like do all this stuff that I make, right? And oh my god, how am I going to make that happen? And I have to do it with nobody around, and I have to do it in cheap, you know. Um, and now, even though it's kind of like. It's coming together. I've actually been working on it all day today. Uh, I'm pretty, my brain's a little bit scrambled from it, but uh, like now, even though it was, it's, you know, it's all there. It's like coming together. Um, But when I look at what I have to do now, I'm just like, that's going to be a blast. You know, like I'm excited to do each of these bits in this show because they all just seem like so much fun to me. Which I think is like, ah, I'm getting it right. Now I'm getting it right. You know? Yeah. yeah. What's the relationship um, between like the idea of the algorithm? The algorithm rules all of us on the, on, on the internet now. Um, whether it's TikTok reels, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or any of that stuff. Um, what's the relationship between uh, uh, the algorithm and the relationship between you and Algo and, and, and the audience? Right. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the main things that I, that I really think about, um, the way that people talk about social media, I I feel like we frame it as if like we are these helpless victims of our algorithms often. Like it's kind of like, right. You know, you know what I mean? It's like, oh my God, my algorithm is doing this to me. Like my algorithm is doing that to me, blah, 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 blah. Um, but in this show, I've decided to kind of um, put a bit of a spotlight on the fact that it, it's us abusing the technology and not necessarily the other way around. Or at least I'm experimenting with that idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like she calls uh, Prima, my bouffant, um, calls algorithm a number of unsavory names uh, <laughs> throughout the, the show. Um, and like, and it's a collaboration, you know, like, it's not just, this is happening to me. It's like, well, you're choosing to have this happen to you. You know what I mean? Like you could be choosing something else. Yeah. Um, but you, you, you know, that most people, I think at this point, like know how insidious the algorithms are. Mm -hmm. Um, you know how it looks at your face and can tell by the way that your eyes move that you like this content um or at least it is interesting to you whether it be disgust hatred um, whatever you know what i mean yeah um and then gives you more of that right Mm -hmm. um so like uh, a lot of what we're looking at in the show too is like how like that that kind of um 
like morbid curiosity. Not morbid curiosity, but it's almost like you don't even know what's happening to you. Yeah. You know? Like you you pay attention to something that you don't like and then you, you just keep getting more of it. Like one time, um, like I'm a, a nanny by day, uh, three days a week. Actually, all of us working on my show are uh, are caregivers uh, working on like the most adult show possible. <laughs> um, there's even a baby in rehearsal, Suzanne's little baby, Julie, which is like so lovely and so fun to kind of like look at him as one of my audience members. So it's hilarious. He's like three months old. Um, but what was I saying? Oh dear, I keep losing my train of thought. Uh, oh yes, yeah, yes. So I was on TikTok a bunch, um, and I kept getting stuff about parenting. Uh, even though I don't have any children, right? And for a while, I was looking at it a lot, right? And then I w- and then. Without making the connection, I was getting very like paranoid about how good of a job I was doing as a nanny. Like, like it got in my head, man. Yeah. And like, I know about this. You know what I mean? Like, I have done an entire two years at university researching this stuff. Yeah. But I didn't make the connection until I was on the phone with a friend of mine, and uh, she was like, "I don't know, maybe." Like, because I had told her about both of these things. And then she was like, well, maybe that's why you're feeling so in your head about your nannying. It's because you're getting all this stuff on TikTok. And I was like, mm. oh. <laughs> and yeah. it was feeling really gross and dark, too. But that's the way TikTok is. And that's the way we're structuring the show, too. It's like, it's like it gets you with, like, funny, fun stuff. You love it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. It's great. And then, oh, this is a little bit gross. Oh, it's fun again great yeah awesome oh this is whoa this is really gross oh my oh my god and then you're on some gross stuff and you're like uh uh okay and then you get a little bit up again and then it just you know then you're you're down the rabbit hole um so i've like structured the show to be that way so it's like yay and it's also perfect because that's you know how we imagine buffon shows to be where buffons to kind of work with audiences is like you have the charm you have uh, the beauty, right? And you come out with that so that you can stay on stage, right? You don't want them to kick you off right away uh, for being so ugly and horrible. Um, and then once you got them, then you fuck them, you know? Mm. <laughs> um, so it just works out perfectly in that yeah. sense. The algorithm is funny in that way that like, you know, whatever you give attention, it gives you more of. Even if you are hate watching it, it doesn't care if you're hate watching mm-hmm. it. You gave it attention, and so like there are times when I'll be like, I, "Why am I getting so angry, so so anxious while I'm looking at this thing?" And I start to realize, "Oh, all the funny stuff is gone." Exactly. And I'm just getting like all the stuff that it knows enrages me. So I have to do like a reset where it's just like very mindful of what I'm giving my attention to, exactly. and like skip by everything else. And it's so. But it gets you if you if you're not conscious of it, like you said, it just pulls you in to it gives you more and more and more. And suddenly you are in this angry funnel that just keeps you spiraling into more and more anger. Yep. And feeling terrible about the world. Yep. Uh, and it's built to be hard to recognize what's happening to you while it's happening to you, right? Yeah. Like even you could be the most educated person about it in the world but you're gonna like it's it 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 knows and it has ways around you know it's wild yeah and yeah tiktok is the worst one tiktok is definitely the worst but i also love tiktok the most now Mm -hmm. strangely um like i used to be a big youtube person i was a big youtube person for a long time um and now i've like well i have my phases with tiktok like i'm and and i'm a bit since that thing with the getting in my head about childcare thing, I was like, uh, I also started using the button, the one that is like, um, I don't like this or whatever. I, there's like a little thing you can press that's like, please right. don't show me more of this kind of thing. Yes. Um, so I've started actually using that. But then sometimes I also like hack it to <laughs> try to do research, you know, <laughs> like I'll like, right. I'll, I'll, I'll stay longer on something that I 
don't really want just because I want to see, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate the social media platforms that let you click on a thing and, and it'll tell you why it's showing you this. And you'd be like, oh, oh, oh I see yeah, this. Yeah. And you think, uh, you know, like I like the transparency when they, when, when you can do that and be like, oh, I understand why you're showing me this and now I can change it. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. It's like, like you can look on Facebook to see your, like your little, um, oh, I forget what that's called, but it's basically a list of words that describe you or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we also have a um, an act in the show that's like, uh, I'm a I'm a psychic. Uh, it's a psychic act, and I I get the audience to give me their phone, open on an app that they use the most, and then I give mm. them a psychic reading based on what I see, right. um, which is very very fun, <laughs> <laughs> and also very you know it's like yep, this is how much, and it's usually like, at the experiments I've done with it, it it I can get really on point. Right, yeah. With that, because it knows so much about you. It's like doing all the work for a psychic, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so I, I I feel like that's going to be like a sobering experience for some people in terms of... And then also it's like like something we're working with, an idea we're working with in this show is, you know, there are things that you allow your phone to do to you that you would never let somebody do to you in real life. No. No. You know? Like, you would never let somebody... Like, like even you would never... You know, many people would not let someone see their browser history, right? Like, And there's things... Right. Not just things that are done to you, but also things that you would never share with a real human person, but you share with your algorithm all of the time. It's like... Yeah. So it's like, why... Why are we so okay with giving so much information to these like massive, massive corporations? But then we're so sort of like isolated in our relationships to each other. And also we're so, you know, we're not very quick to forgive people in life, you know. Um, but for some reason, we just like let the abuse keep happening to us. <laughs> so it's kind of that thing. It's like, who are you like? who are you in this scenario, like the abuser or the abused? Mm. Like you're both. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of times I think because, you know, the 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 corporation and the algorithm are faceless, literally faceless. Yeah. We don't, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know this person. I don't know this thing. It's not a, it's not a, not a physical thing. I, somehow I'm okay with giving it like all of the keys to all of my secrets, subconscious, mm -hmm. like, hates and desires and wants and loves and all this sort of stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> but if i could see if i know who this person is i'm not telling them any of that stuff you know it's a weird thing no it's a weird thing and it, it makes me it, like there's something of that that smacks of the idea that that we value the tech over humanity mm. you know what i mean like over being human in spaces with each other and like showing each other grace and um, you know, obviously we don't want to be so vulnerable with everybody, but, but right. like, you know what I mean? Like it feels, it feels weird to me. And that's, I mean, that's I part of what this is too, is like, it's like, we're sort of pushing down what makes us human for the sake of this tech. Yeah. And we're using this tech to make us less human somehow, because we've always been running away from being human. Right. And that yeah. is what Buffon is, is about. Right. It's like, oh, yeah, you think you're you think you're like aristocracy. You think you're so good. Right. Like, you know, watch me have sex on stage and spit at you while I do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, watch yeah. that. And like, are you happy with that? Like, do you like the fact this is what you look like when you have sex? You know, like <laughs> um, it, it, it's like I, I couldn't be more blessed with a with a a form that addresses this content in a better way, mm. you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny, the uh, that that algorithm thing. I think it comes down to the algorithm never judges us, and we're always afraid that other people yeah. will judge us, you know? Mm -hmm. 
the algorithm will just give you what you right. what, what you want, and it doesn't care. It yeah, divine grace from the algorithm. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I'll give you that. I don't give you more of that. Sure, I'm just gonna, gonna keep serving you that. Yeah, but if I don't think you're an asshole, you want, actually, I'm gonna give you stuff that if okay, so you start. I, I'm getting the sense that maybe you start to feel like an asshole now. Actually, I'm gonna give you somebody who is an unlikely person to be saying. Uh, that actually you're not an asshole for thinking this. So then right. it's like you get reinforced then on the thing. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you know, think what you will of South Park. Um, but like for a while there, it was feeding me a lot of black people who were talking about how South Park isn't, doesn't use, like the, the stereotype use on South Park isn't a problem. Mm. Um, and I was like, and like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to think of it because I've loved it for so long. And it's like, right. it's like, that's a hard one for me to let go of personally. But like right. the fact that like, I just noticed that TikTok was, um, was feeding me this stuff. You know what I mean? Being like, no, you're good. We know you love this and you're, and you're fine. Look at all these, you know, diverse voices that are telling you that you're fine. The ones that you were worried about in the first place, they're telling you that you're fine. So you're fine. It's fine. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, it's, it's wild how much they know. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. And I heard someone say too, it's like, go on TikTok or like, like people are afraid of going on TikTok because they're afraid of knowing who they really are. <laughs> it's wild. That, I mean, I could definitely see that because it, because, you know, TikTok can reveal to you a lot about what you, what you want to give your attention to. Yes. Like so many people, there's such a huge community on tiktok or like i'm a lesbian because of tiktok like or like i right. found out that i was gay because of tiktok you know um of those i'm like for sure i see how that i see how that makes sense because mm. that could actually be hard to figure out you know <laughs> like but the algorithm figures it out for you and then it's like okay here you go yeah and then you're like oh 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 <laughs> <laughs> I, I this is the thing that i couldn't put my finger on my whole life you know yeah <laughs> Yeah. Now, Sam, one of the things that I love to talk to people about is their their theater origin stories. We are, everybody has a different different story about about what it is that drew them to the theater. Mm -hmm. um, whether it was something as a as a child in their teenage years. For you, what is it that 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 first drew you to the theater and and made you want to pursue it? Uh, my little thing that I say for this is basically. As soon as I was old enough to understand that the people on TV were actors, I asked to be in acting classes. Um, mm. So I just asked my, because I, that's all I wanted to do. Mm. So that was, I started acting classes when I was six. Um, and everything in my life when I was a child was just like, you know, dramatic play all of the time, okay. every day, always. So I was one of those people who just knew immediately like out of the womb kind of thing mm. um and then i've like explored in a lot of different directions in terms of you know doing uh music or playwriting or um comedy different stuff um and then i uh in, in high school i did i was in a show choir so i did a lot of uh musical theater bits which was right. super fun and kind of made me come into myself as a performer um, at that time. And then, uh, and then I wanted to go to theater school. So I, I went to, um, I got my BFA at Memorial University of Newfoundland. At the time it was called um, Grenfell Campus. Or yeah, it was called, we just called it Grenfell. Now it's like Memorial University 2. Um, <laughs> which is like, I don't know, just call it, everybody's calling it Grenfell. It's called right. um but yeah so i went there did my bfa um and like there's a really awesome summer theater situation going on in newfoundland like we have so much theater phil it's it's amazing um so i hmm. started working um i started working in at those festivals in 2009 that was like my first year as a working actor um, the first festival I worked at was like Grand Bank Theater Festival, which was so much fun and so awesome because um, 
the artistic director at the time, Bernie Stapleton, um, basically would just let us do what we wanted. Like she was like, "What? We were doing rock and roll heaven. What songs do you want to sing?" And I was like, "I want to do Get Up Off That Thing and some Elvis and um, like like it was it was so free. Like I could choose what I wanted to do. And at the time, I was I was kind of in a uh, songwriting kick. So she was like, "Ah, oh, do like a little lunchtime cafe, and you'll um, sing your original songs for people, and they'll come listen and have a have a little meal, and it'll be great." So it was very like free form that one so that one was i'm very grateful to that one because it was uh, i was just like wow i can just do what i want so fun mm. um and people were like writing sketches for like the little reviews and stuff it was just very creatively free um that festival and then and then i worked at rising tide theater festival a bunch um three years i've done summers for rising tide um two when i was like around in my BFA. And then one I went back in 2018, which was absolutely beautiful. It's like a theater on a wharf directly on the ocean. Um, and we would like swim on our two show days after doing like a historical walk around and in like the petticoats and everything. <laughs> like we'd be so hot. Um, and then just swim in the ocean. It's very idyllic and fun. Um, and, uh, and then I was in Montreal for actually for three years where I started doing improvs and I studied more clown. Um, and then, and then when I got to Toronto, I got really hard into, uh, into improv here. Mm. So I was at bad dog, like living at bad dog theater, the old location, um, Ossington Bloor, uh, for like four years. Um, and like did, did, went up, came, did all their classes. um, and we did a show called Dreamboats, which was very fun. And we did uh, Canada's Next Top Blank, which was a musical improv show, reality TV show uh, that we actually took to Chicago Musical Improv Festival in 2018, which was super fun. Um, I also got to study at Improv Olympic mm. and um, and also The Annoyance and... Uh, yeah, so it was like heavy, heavy improv focus for a really long time. Um, and yeah, and then the, and then I guess the master's degree, which then integrated kind of all of these pieces of me that I had had previously. And now I'm, I'm this kind of spooky class, <laughs> <laughs> at least for now. <laughs> no, you... Uh, you know, you've you've been in in several different places as you've as you've been studying. Um, what was it that made you decide that you were going to sort of settle down in Toronto for a while? Uh, I it just made sense. Like mm -hmm. there's just so much more going on. And an another thing, like with Montreal, it was kind of like, well, the Anglophone theater community is probably not too much bigger than the theater community that I'm already integrated into back home in St. John. Right. Right. So if I'm going to be somewhere that's smaller like that i it's like i might as well go back to st john's that right you know what i mean yeah um and like i may still like it like people amaze me over there the stuff they're doing is mm. so great um so i was like if i want to go and i want to discover more and see more um then toronto has to be the place yeah um and it is like i, I just feel like i'm constantly discovering who I am as a creator and performer, what I'm interested in. Um, and that's why it's hard to leave a place like Toronto. Cause I'm just like, Oh, I want to see everybody come through. Sure. You know, like I got to see red bastards, um, like a month ago or a little bit longer than a month ago at sweet action theater, mm -hmm. which was fantastic. So good to see him after having like, just, you know, had to, um, you know, scrape through all of his youtube videos and stuff you know what i mean like trying to right like, trying to learn about trying to, it trying to figure out what is what is it actually like to see this in performance because i can only see what's on youtube and what people tell me exactly like it was a hard thing to study goofball like uh without having any examples uh and being able to see it um so yeah i love being exposed to every to everyone you know um yeah. And then also, like, some of the improv shows that I saw back in the day, man, like uh, Combustion Festival, like, some of that stuff just absolutely 
blew my mind. You know, mm-hmm. they were. It was um. Oh man, there was this one they did uh, that uh, Rapid Fire does called Underscore, where they have um like a um a DJ basically like compose a whole like a, like forty minute track. And then the that it has kind of structure built into it, improv structure built into it. Um, oh. And they had the the festival ensemble, so everybody from everywhere, right, do this show. And oh man, like I, I'll never mm. forget. You know, it's like yeah, when you yeah. see the stuff that's good, you know it. You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now you also. Um, uh, did the six week summer course at Ecole Philippe, Philippe Gonier this this past summer? I sure did. Um, tell me about that. Uh, it was awesome. <laughs> it was it was so so good. Uh, I had the time of my life. I also was you know destroyed, uh, but I had the time of my life. So I got funding for it uh, from Canada Council for the Arts, um, and my pitch to them for going there was basically like, look, I had to do my master's during the pandemic and I had no live performance whatsoever. And so now I feel like I'm terrified that I have all this like calcium buildup over me as a performer. And I just like, don't have any trust when I'm performing live and I'm just scared to go do it basically. Mm. Um, you know, this guy's going to die soon. I want to go. Please, please let me go. <laughs> um, and they let me. And boy, it did exactly the things that I needed it to do. Like it really um, got me back in touch with like the pleasure of performance, which is really their big thing, right? Um, but I had so many layers to chip away. And like one thing that's amazing about there, I found was the environment that that he creates in that classroom drops ego to the bottom. Mm. And it's like, when are you ever in a space like that? No, that's for sure. That's for sure. You know what I mean? When are you ever in a space where it's like, whoever has the biggest ego is just absolutely floundering and doing miserably. Like... (laughs) And like, and one thing I learned too is like, it's not just, it's not just that overconfident ego, like that, like cocky ego that is the problem. Like my ego was a huge problem too, but it was like, um, like an insecure expression of ego Mm. because I wanted everybody to like me. I wanted everybody to think that I was good, you know? And so I was pushing like the things that I think are good about me. Yeah. On to other people. And it was just like, as soon as I got up there, he clocked it immediately. Right. And then, but, but he's doing this in very like, sort of, I don't know, he's saying these things in very sort of like esoteric joke right. kind of ways. Right. Yes. Um, so it takes you a little bit longer to cut, to figure that out than, um, than it is for him. But like, when you look back, like, oh yeah, he saw that like right away. Um, but it, it took me forever to just stop pushing like and i was like wow like this is compulsive like, yeah well i mean it's so hard i remember when i was in theater school um the thing i was most afraid of was failing yeah you know i don't want to then you're trying not to fail exactly exactly <laughs> trying so <And> then, hard <laughs> yeah and it's when you're doing that you're you're not going to succeed because you're not actually concentrating on the things you need to con- need to need to concentrate on it was like the main thing was like i don't want to fail and oh wait what am i doing i'm kind of i'm kind of not doing a great job right now because i'm so worried about failing exactly and then and then you like like i i think that that's something that kind of came up for me when i was doing improv like in the later days like before the pandemic Mm. was like i would often lose track of what i was doing because i was in that space and like i all of a sudden that's like getting in your head right I all of a sudden wasn't there with the thing that I was doing. I was with myself being like, is this any good? Like, um, maybe I should do this. Yeah. This will be good. And like that kind of stuff. It's like, and that, and that is to my point, like that is ego. And like, I, I didn't mm-hmm. that way before. Um, like I almost saw myself as like a victim of that or something, you know, but like that, no, <laughs> like, um, 
I needed to really let that go. And uh, like, you know, I was pushing, pushing, pushing like at, at the school. Um, and then and then I just said, I was like, OK, I'm going to drop everything. Like, I'm going to stop trying at all. I'm just going to get up there and like breathe and that's going to be it. Because I just don't know what to do. And so I, I did that and I was like, I'm boring, you know, <laughs> like um, and then, man, one day it was like during Buffon, I had um, I went up there. He didn't beat the drum. He was beating the drum for everybody else. This was like an individual exercise mm-hmm. and just to start them. Um, and I just stood there and I was like, I was like, today my strategy is to take deep breaths, right? But I'm like, you know, so terrified. Um, and uh, I'm just like taking my deep breath. He doesn't beat the drum. And then he's just like, we don't love you. Goodbye. Um, um, yeah. Like, and I was like, I didn't even start the exercise, Phil. Like, I didn't start. Uh, and, and then the class was like, let her go. And he was like, no, I am the teacher. I make the decisions. <laughs> like, like, um, but like when he did that, it was like, it showed me like when, cause the class was really kind of butt against him on that right. decision. Yeah. And I was like, when I do this, I'm taking myself as a performer away from my audience. Hmm. My audience wants me and and by pushing or by just being terrified, I'm not giving myself to them at all. You know, and they, they but they want it. And they deserve to have it. You know what I mean? So like how can I find my way around the fear? What do I need to do? And and then the thing is, is like when you actually then do it and succeed and have fun and play it's always just very mysterious <laughs> like right uh, you know like it's, i can't be like here's my formula i you know i <laughs> i breathe deep down into my butthole and then i like you know what i mean like it's like that's how i do it uh there's none of that really i mean the only thing i think the thing i feel that it's like pretty hard to put a finger on but the thing that i feel like i learned to tap into the most is just that feeling of of like play like what it feels like to be enjoying playing yeah like wet like i i can recognize when i get into that zone and where exactly that is yeah and that's really just the beginning but that's something i can do now and i even you know i I can recognize it when i like talk to the chat you know (laughs) or like to a baby and i'm like there it is Mm. it's like the thing they wanted me to do know (laughs) like the play there i feel it i can feel the so that's like the main thing that i've gotten in touch with i think Um, the stakes are always so high when you're at school though like man like it's no wonder that that you know i was so afraid of failing you know and therefore failed i mean because the stakes are pretty high and you know it's it's that 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 need to succeed that desire to succeed because there are so few situations where we feel like we are free to fail Right. Yeah. And schools should be one of them, but we always feel oh. like if I fail here, like they're gonna like hate me or whatever, you know? It's so yeah. hard. That's a structural problem. Like that's you know, it shouldn't be based on like assessing how well you fit a, a certain criteria. Right. Which is what I liked about um the Gallier pedagogy, right? Like it, it was never telling me what I did right, the via negativa, right? Because I feel like as soon as someone with a, an opinion tells you what's right, then you're kind of starting to create people who are the same and people are trying to do something like somebody else did it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, like, if you're kind of getting told what you're doing wrong, it has the effect of letting everybody be right in their own way. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I I, yeah. I really appreciate I really appreciated that that teaching method, but it's like yeah, you don't want to make a bunch of carbon copies of you know whoever is the most accomplished teacher at the school. Right, um, yes. You want to let everybody be exactly who they are mm-hmm. and find exactly who they are, and the only way you can do that is by failing and making mistakes. Yeah, that's it. Oh, absolutely. There's no other way. Like it should. Like yeah, thinking of my nanny life it's like that i'm telling the children that all the time i'm like that's a part of it 
that's a part of it. And you're like, you're making a mistake. Like you don't need to get frustrated with yourself. But when you're assessed based on correct and incorrect answers, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then that seeps over into creative stuff like theater school, for example, then you get a bunch of people who are trying to be right in all the same ways and then boring, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So people will be able to see um, Influenced at uh, the One Night Only Festival in mm-hmm. Toronto on June 9th. Um, you'll be at the Montreal Fringe Festival in, in June and also at the Winnipeg Fringe Festival, I guess, late July? Yes, it is. Like the, yep. the last two weeks of July. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Sam, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a, this has been a real delight. Yes, absolute delight, Phil. Thank you so much for having me. This has been an episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy is produced, hosted, and edited by Phil Rickaby. That's me. If you enjoyed this podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. Those reviews and ratings help new people find the show. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. And remember, if you want to leave a tip, you'll find a link to the virtual tip jar in the show notes or on the website. You can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the complete archive of all episodes at stageworthy.ca. If you want to find me... You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And as I mentioned, my website is philrickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy. Worthy.